Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we have some very good news. It's a good news show, we'll call it. So Aaron, lots of exciting things are happening around here, and how about you let our listeners know a few of them? Right on. The first thing I want our listeners to know is that in our church, our musical people are working on a new album, and we've decided to um, call our music Pursuit of Glory Music because we want it to be vertical in nature. Um, we, we have this whole notion that the mission of God is the glory of God, and we want to pursue an encounter with our glorious God. So we're calling a pursuit of glory music. I think pretty much every every one of the songs that are written is based off of a scripture passage. So we want it to be thoroughly anchored in God's word, modern or contemporary in its uh, style. So it's singable by uh, the modern man. And we're looking forward to that. If you want to jump on Facebook, you can like Pursuit of Glory Music there on other social media platforms. And also you can uh, look at some of our music. It's just starting to drop on platforms like Spotify. So I wanted people to be aware of that and promote that. And uh, it's not a money-making exercise. It's just an opportunity to bless, bless others. Secondly, today is Thursday. That means that tomorrow, or maybe as of midnight tonight, the United States border will open up for us Canadians uh, for those that are unvaxxed, like myself, and we'll be able to cross into the U.S. I'm taking full advantage of that. So next week, I'm intending to travel to Bonaire, Georgia, and speak at a Mission of God conference under the invite of Dr. Joe Boot. So that's exciting. If you're in that area, you're welcome to sign up for that. You can find the registration at Ezra Institute, uh, Ezra Institute's website. And then, drum roll, um, my remaining three charges that I sustained under lockdown have been dropped. So three others were dropped earlier this year. Now, I know some of you are probably doing the math thinking, I thought he had four. Well, <laughs> I thought I had four too. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks ago, my lawyer was like, no, man, you got six. I'm like, six? How'd that happen? So I received four summonses, but I didn't read them carefully enough. And I discovered recently that there were actually three charges listed on one of my summonses. So uh, through a combination of a couple diversion agreements and um, withdrawal of charges, all my charges were withdrawn. I didn't have to plead guilty uh, to any of them. I didn't have to pay fines to the court. They didn't get any money out of me. That's a good thing. And I wanted our audience, if they hadn't heard already, to be aware of that and to, to celebrate uh, God's goodness in this regard. That's good. So yeah, tell me, Aaron, what's it feel like to have those charges drop? Because I know that's been in some ways a weight that others of us might not understand the same way. Well, it is it is good news worth celebrating. Like I, I certainly am, am thankful that um, the charges are, are gone. They're sort of in the back of your mind. At the same time, I, I honestly wasn't particularly stressed out about them. And it wasn't because maybe I'm a man of little faith. I, I never I actually didn't think they would all be withdrawn or dismissed. I, I thought it, there would probably be some penalty attached to them. And 
um, perhaps I hate to say this, but perhaps just because I have such a low view of culture apart from Christ that I didn't really trust the judicial system either to see things the way I think they should. Mm -hmm. uh, but by God's grace, those were uh, dismissed. So how, how am I feeling? Well, I think I'm, I'm pleased that the dismissal of my charges serves to encourage other people. I've said before I was pleasantly surprised, and I do believe a win in the courts is a good thing. But at the same time, I always believed that my actions were right, regardless of what the courts said. I was very comfortable with that, that before God, I believe I did the right thing and speaking out against lockdowns and standing up for small businesses, and most importantly, speaking out for the sovereignty of Christ over the church. So I was never really stressed out about that. I think one of the things, Chris, that people have to be careful about is in the West, because historically, whether people uh, affirm it or disaffirm it, it's just a fact. Historically in the West, our legal codes have been based upon the scriptures for the most part. And because of that, it seems to me that most Christians even have this idea in their mind that if the, if the law says it, it's right. If the law says it's right, it's right. If the law says it's wrong, it's wrong. Because historically that was more or less true. If your legal codes in a country or civil law is based upon God's law, then if it says murder is wrong, it's wrong. If it says stealing is wrong, it's wrong. If it says perjuring yourself in court is wrong, it's because it, it aligns with God's laws, it's wrong. But now we have laws in the books that are wrong. They're saying they're right, but they're actually wrong. The maid bill, the conversion therapy bill, these are evil bills, these are immoral bills. Penalizing churches for worshiping the, the risen Christ on Sundays under lockdown is immoral and I, I stand by that. So regardless whether the courts saw me to be innocent or guilty wasn't particularly important to me. Although at the same time, I'm glad that the charges are gone. But fundamentally what we know is we need deep spiritual reform in Canada. Mm -hmm. So we would just have to have that. But yeah. I appreciate your asking. Yeah. And I think we both said before too, God is glorified whether you the charges stick or don't, right? So he's glorified through our suffering for righteousness sake and right. glorified. And, we, and I think he has been. Yeah. You know, many, many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ in in our church and in other churches directly as a result of the challenges we've experienced over the past three years. Yeah. So just for our listeners sake, the reason we're doing this podcast is because there has been many reasons people have supported or resisted lockdowns. And now that these charges are behind us, we thought it'd be good to do a show that really summarizes the reasons for resisting lockdowns, reasons which we'd really like to see more Christians acknowledge in order to prepare us for any future challenges of this sort. Because I think we all know this storm may be passed, but it's not really over. Uh, and so that's the, the point behind this. And so I think that's uh, what we'll hopefully get into more. One other question I had just tied to this experience we've been through, what would you say is one of your darkest moments? Because I think this is helpful to understand more broadly. Mm -hmm. Definitely the darkest moment for me was 
after one of the fines I received related to the closure of our church, we, we convened a meeting with uh, all of our elders and we were having a conversation about what to do next. And we were trying to weigh out taking a bold stand publicly without casting all our pearls before swine, uh, realizing that God was going to bless our faithfulness. Sometimes you have to charge across battlefields. Sometimes you have to retreat to lick your wounds. And we were trying to figure out what our next steps were going to be. And we came up with a strategy, which I'm not going to talk about on this show, on, on, on a, a show that um, media people I'm sure listen to and politicians and law enforcement issues uh, listens to. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell them what we did and what those decisions were. But I remember during that meeting, as we were having this conversation, I just, I realized how exhausted I was. And the reason for that is for several weeks leading up to that point in time, we had police presence in our parking lot every single week. There was lies being told by the media about our stance and why we were doing what we were doing. We had photographers across the street taking pictures of our people and publishing them in local media. Many people know we had a, uh, some roofing nails thrown in our parking lot to pop some tires as people were coming in. And I remember preaching uh, up on the platform of our auditorium, our worship center. And I would, the way our auditorium is configured is it's a, basically a giant box and there's six doors along the back and they have glass in them. We we'll usually keep a couple of them propped open and people will, that's part of our foyer. So you can see people walking by on occasion and it might sound like um, a minor thing for people that weren't in that circumstance, but it was incredibly stressful to preach and to stay focused when at any moment you knew the police could barge in and disrupt your service or arrest your people. We just didn't know what was going to happen. And so sometimes I'd be preaching and I'd look up and there'd be a movement in the foyer and I thought, oh, the cops are coming in. And it was a distraction for me. I'd see mm -hmm. them see people through the glass and I realized, oh, it's just one of our security people. So because that had been going on for several weeks and months, I, I don't think I was aware of how much stress I was under for that period of time. And I just kind of had this like emotional breakdown in front of all the guys. I was just exhausted. And I said, you know, I just don't even want to be at that address anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and the men were very sympathetic, you know, like we all have our, our breaking point, but that, that was sort of the darkest point for me. And then, and in all honesty, as soon as I, I had that low point, I think the Lord invaded my life with a measure of strength that I hadn't experienced before. And, and after that, I really felt quite sustained. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but that would have been the darkest point for me. There's been many, many times where I've been furious with the behavior of officials and the media. And there's been many times when I've been frustrated and angry at the behavior of other churches or even local citizens. But I, I still felt that I had a lot of strength in those times, but that, that time, that day, that evening, I remember was a very dark time, but fortunately the Lord sustains us through that. And I'm in hindsight, I'm grateful for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots of hills and lots of valleys <laughs> throughout the last few years. So we know that 
people thought your views at times <laughs> thought your views at times were unwise. I was going to say, but uh, some thought they were crazy, <laughs> but right. unwise given the severity of the pandemic, right? Others we know agreed, obviously, but sometimes for different reasons mm -hmm. and still others agreed for the same reasons. There's lots of things to consider and you know, you had to weigh your choices. We can't get into every detail of the, there are decisions, but what would you say were your most basic fundamental reasons for resisting lockdowns? Right. Yeah. It's a good question. Let me just backtrack and say this. Yeah. There, there are some people that were in, in favor of opposing mandates, but for reasons I don't hold on to. So for example, there's a lot of libertarian minded people in our country. I'm not a libertarian. I appreciate aspects of libertarianism. I do believe that people have liberties in and of themselves have a measure of autonomy, but I do think sometimes libertarians have this notion that there, there doesn't need to be a government. Nobody really needs to be in charge. I can do what I want. And I don't believe that mm -hmm. I believe in sphere sovereignty. I have a theonomistic bent. I believe that God's laws do apply to all spheres of life, including civil government where applicable. And I do believe that, God, I'm not an anarchist either. I do believe that God has put civil government in place along with other forms of government, and we are required to obey them mm -hmm. when they're functioning properly. So there'd be many, many people like that. And then God bless them. I met a lot of hyper conspiracy theorists, and we all know that there's some quote unquote conspiracies that are proven to be true, but there's a lot of nutty ideas out there too about backroom meetings and global governance and whatnot. I won't get into all that, but I, I just don't believe in a lot of that stuff. I, I don't believe things that I can't validate. I don't feel comfortable believing in things that just based on a hunch or based upon some podcast, some grainy figure did on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So I'm not in that camp, but, but the many of those people I spoke at rallies or groups events with, and I appreciated their their stand against tyranny. And then we had, um, of course, people that were pro state all the way. The medical officer knows best. They're, they're, they're doing what's best for you. They're doing what's best for your church. Lots of people are dying. We got to wear masks. We got to wear gloves. There's that whole crowd that I was, I was the least connected with. Mm -hmm. I, that, that's where I had the least, I guess, amount of, um, compatibility. Mm -hmm. So there like you said, there there are many. I would I would dare say dozens, if not hundreds, of considerations you have to think through when you're making decisions about unprecedented events like the ones we've gone through in the past three years. But if I were to boil it all down to the most fundamental, the most fundamental reasons why I believed I had to personally resist lockdowns and our church had to resist lockdowns, top of the list top of the list, ultimately, first and foremost, was about authority, was about authority. The Bible teaches very clearly that Christ has ultimate authority over his gathered church. There's absolutely no question about that. He is the great shepherd. We read about that in Hebrews 13, 20. He is the great shepherd, the great pastor of his church. And beyond that, beyond the church, he is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, present tense. That's not an eschatological reality. It'll become hyper evident in the eschaton, but that is a present tense reality. That claim 
that role is for the present. King Charles III was just coronated, became the king of the mm-hmm. Commonwealth, the king of England. Well, Christ's coronation you know, predates <laughs> the founding of the world. He is the eternal son of a living God. And I, I just, I want to emphasize this. If you're a Christian, you're listening to this, it's absolutely vital that you allow your theology to affect your per- present reality. I want you to think long, hard, carefully about this. If Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, how could you possibly, possibly argue that a lesser king, a lesser governor has authority over Christ's bride, the church, in terms of her worship and her ministry? On civil matters, on civil matters, the King of Kings has delegated authority over Christians. He's delegated authority over Christians to civil servants, right? So I've said this many times. If a Christian church is committing criminal acts, allowing children to be molested, embezzling money, whatever it might be, that's a criminal act. The state has a vested interest in investigating that and charging. Where the, st- where the state has zero authority is on what I preach, when I preach, how I preach. When I'm preaching from the word of God, they have no authority. If I want to administer the sacraments, they have no authority over that. If I want to call our people to gather, they have no authority over that. So on principle, whether everyone is dying, whether we're in the middle of a nuclear meltdown, we cannot ever, ever, ever permit the state to think they have authority over the ministry and worship of the Christian church. I'm using those words very specifically. Mm-hmm. The ministry and the worship of the Christian church. I'm not talking about their authority over the number of people you can put in your parking lot or over your fire extinguishers. Illustrations people have tried to somehow use to conclude that the church has authority or the state has authority to determine whether you can even meet or not. These mm-hmm. are completely different spheres of authority. The state has no authority over the ministry and worship of the Christian church. So do we believe in human authority in the church? Yes, we do. Within the church, within the church, God has appointed under shepherds to lead and to guide and to rule the church. It's, it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 5, let the elders that rule well be worthy of double honor. That is authority that's been delegated to the elders of the church by Christ. But they can never usurp his authority and teach, let's say, false doctrine or refuse people the, the sacraments who, who are uh, in good standing with the church. I don't have authority to tell people you have to wear a mask to church. I don't have the authority to tell people, sir, you got to take your medication before you come to church. I don't have that authority, right? So fundamentally, Chris, I believe the church is Jesus Christ's embassy. It has to be his embassy because we're called ambassadors. So the church, as part of the kingdom of God, is the embassy of Christ. It is separate from the state. It's amazing to me that even unbelievers like to talk about that. Oh, the church is separate from the state. Um, Therefore, the, the church shouldn't have any say on political matters. Well, the church shouldn't be weighing into true civil matters that God has given authority to this to the government for example to delineate 
but the state can, the church can put up its hand and say to a government, sorry guys, but you don't have the authority to determine whether I'm going to baptize people this week or not. Mm -hmm. Like buzz off. It's none of your business. Take a hike. We have the authority to say that. So that we're, we believe the church is Christ's embassy. It's separate from the state. The civil government has zero authority over her ministry and worship. And let me just add that, add this point. There is, there is no exception to that. There's no exception under pandemics, under lockdowns. There's no exception to that. So if a local church decides to change its worship time or reduce its numbers or whatever it might be because there's a virus running through the community, that authority is delegated to the elders that rule the church under Christ as long as you're not violating. For instance, it would be a violation to not meet. That'd be a violation of Hebrews 10.25. But as long as you're not violating the word of God, they have that authority, but the state does not have that authority. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope I'm not... I hope I'm not telling people, um, I hope I'm not repeating myself ad nauseum for no purpose, but I, I do believe that in public communication, it's important to repeat yourself yeah. <laughs> to drive the point home. Yep. So if anyone's like, why did Aaron Rock keep his church open again? because he does not believe that the civil government has authority over the ministry and worship of the Christian church. I hope that is crystal clear, black and white, burned into your memory, and I hope it affects how you live your life moving forward. Yeah, and I think that's especially helpful post-pandemic because post-pandemic you look in hindsight and say, well, oh, well, maybe they didn't think it was as deadly. And so they kept it open because it wasn't as deadly. And well, we didn't have that knowledge ahead of time and whatever else. Right. Well, it goes it, back to, yeah. And by the way, it, it wasn't anywhere near as deadly as they said. So from a human perspective, you're looking around thinking you're false prophets, right? You, you told us hundreds of thousands or a hundred thousand in Ontario, I think at the time would, would potentially be dead. Like, come on. So it was, it was a false prophecy and those predictions kept proving themselves to be false. So in, in that respect, you do, you do feel somewhat vindicated in your position, but it really wasn't about, it really wasn't certainly not at the beginning. We weren't even thinking about vaccinations. A lot of people have made this a vaccination issue. It wasn't about that. It was months and months and months and months and months. The pandemic hit in March. I don't even remember people talking about vaccinations probably till what like it was December a year and a half later was it that long yeah it wasn't until the fall of the next year that it, okay, so it was a long so. long long time like we weren't even thinking about that so if you if you remember the early days it was about what in the world's going on and then after we sort of overcame that first two-week shock now it's like okay now we need to think through matters like does the state have authority to continue to close the church yep so going forward, this will be an interesting question where we break some new ground, perhaps we're thinking about sphere sovereignty. We've thought about how that applies in pandemics, but where do you think that might apply in future issues? That same concept. Well, for example, there's, you have to be pretty naive not to acknowledge that there is a real out in the open movement in the West, and Canada is probably one of the forerunners of this, to eradicate our Christian history, to, to vilify the Christian church, to 
badmouth Christians to frame them up as right-wing fringe extremists, intolerant, opposed to the progressive agenda of the left, and to silence us. We have a law on the books now that declares, in principle, the Word of God to be a myth, the conversion therapy bill, because the Word of God is in direct opposition to the premise of that bill. So there is a, a clear attempt to de-Christianize even further our country. Our own prime minister is removing Christian symbols from mm -hmm. our um, coat of arms. We have our king who, uh, who's not where his mom is at in terms of, you know, she, she was very clearly a defender of the gospel of Jesus Christ within her realm. That's not him. He's a globalist. He's, he's functionally a neo-pagan. And it's going to get worse. There's, there's lots of threats levied toward the church. We have journalists that like to do, you know, hit pieces on the church. And, you know, you're, you can report on groups within society. LGBTQ is the one that's like nauseatingly in the news almost every day as a special interest group, as a dis distinct group. The mainstream media will always report positively on them. It's all positive coverage. Mm -hmm. they, they equate it. It's all, almost strangely to them sort of the equivalent of like black slavery in, this, in Civil War uh, America. Like they're this they're this uh, discriminated against group and we got to champion them and everyone needs to uh, applaud their, their cause and everyone needs to be on side and everyone needs to fly the flag. Where's the positive coverage about Christians? Mm -hmm. There are, go on CRA's website or even just Google LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ charities in Canada, millions, there's all kinds of them, millions of dollars are being donated to these special interest groups which functionally revolve around who you have sex with. And then you look at Christian groups. We're the ones that are funding to a large degree the tr a lot of the true social justice issues in our country. Every dollar, uh, there's studies that have come out to this effect, every dollar that's given to a Christian church, I think even in Ontario or Canada, I can't remember the jurisdiction, whether it's limited to Ontario or Canada, saves taxpayers something like $3 in social services costs because when we're patching marriages back up, when we're encouraging people to handle their, their money properly, when we're feeding the poor, we're actually lifting people out of poverty and saving the public coffers from having to support things that they otherwise would have to support with tax dollars. When, where is the media reporting on that? Where is the media saying, you know, one of the greatest blessings to our nation are conscientious Christians that every day without publishing it on social media, without broadcasting it to the world, are putting marriages back together, are helping people to overcome all sorts of addictions, are feeding the poor, helping single mothers and on and on and on and on and on. Instead, we're the bad guys because we're pro-family and we're pro-Bible and we're pro-God. We're, we're somehow we're the extremists. Somehow we're, we're like dangerous to a liberal democracy. It's so satanic. It's so satanic. And it's indicative of how deep Satan's claws have dug into culture where people don't, they don't even, it's hard for them to even comprehend 
uh, that this could possibly be true. They see themselves as enlightened, but they don't realize the impact of worldviews on on their um, on their decisions. So, all of that is to say, without question, there will be increased pressure put on faithful churches to shut their mouths, to close their doors, to get lost, to move off, to stop promoting, you know, God forbid Christian nationalism. I mean, God forbid that we actually believe in nationhood and that Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which is fundamentally what Christian nationalism is. You know, God forbid we're the bad people. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, I do not believe that most, when the state, Puts pressure on the church, they're going to pick and choose the churches that they don't like. Most churches will comply to state agendas because they'll take place slowly, deliberately over time. Mm. For example, go on the CRA website, punch in Harvest Bible Chapel, Windsor. Look at our donations. You'll see in the category of how much money we took from the government, zero. We don't take money from the government. Then start punching in the names of other churches in our own city. All kinds of them take money from the government. Yeah. It happens all across our country. They take grants to hire summer students. They take grants to support their staff during pandemic. They take grants. They're taking money from the public coffers to support their ministry. Once you get used to that, then the state has control over you. You are now a subject of the state. And when you're a subject of the state, the state can now manipulate and control you. This is why it's an, a, a horrendous idea for churches to take money from the state. We should pay our own way, but we don't take money from the state. And by the way, little sidebar, not paying property tax is not taking money from the state. That's an assertion that we are Christ's embassy, just like an embassy in another country doesn't pay property taxes because it's actually part of its autonomy. It's protective for the state and it's mm-hmm. protective for the church for them not to be charging each other taxes. Mm-hmm. It separates those two entities. It emphasizes this idea of sphere sovereignty. So to answer your question you know, as directly as I can, If any Christian doesn't have absolute clarity on Christ's lordship over the church, either in this generation or the next, they will be much more easy to manipulate by the powers of the state based upon whatever whim happens to be on on the agenda at a particular given time in history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would you say then also continue with the reasons you oppose lockdowns? Okay. So number one, Authority. Yep. The state doesn't have authority over the church. Number two, injustice. Did not the prophets of old call the people of Israel time and time again to speak out against injustice levied against the widow and the orphan, which were archetypes of those most easily oppressed? The prophets speak much of justice and injustice. And there's lots of people in our country that are social justice warriors. But if you actually look at what they're supposedly standing for, it's the things the state are standing for. Mm-hmm. Generally fake justice causes, like feeding people who, who can and should be working. That's not a justice issue. Like trying to give land reparations to people who have mixed heritage, who are trying to somehow gain financial benefit from something that happened to their great, 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 great grandfather, in many cases, by another great, 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 great grandfather. It's nonsense. It's socialism on steroids. It's a desire for people to try to get things for free. It's largely a result of people that don't actually work and take responsibility for their actions. 
every single one of us comes from oppressed people groups. Every single one of us has injustice in our background. Oh, well, time to move on. So we got all these fake social justice causes. But during the pandemic, there were some clear, clear cut justice issues, issues of discrimination and a lack of equity. For example, early on, we had this ridiculous divide between essential workers and non-essential yes. workers. Yes. And I am, I am so disappointed at people that work in what were labeled essential worker classes they were looking for special attention. They were printing bumper stickers. You know, I'm a healthcare hero. Trying to gain public pity and, and public applause for the fact that they were working 60 hours a week, getting time and a half, somehow wanting an applaud from people that had zero income. The fact that the government chose to look at a broad broad number of occupations say you're not essential you don't get to go to work okay you can just stay home because that's a safe remember the ridiculous line stay home stay safe mm -hmm. are you kidding me it's like the least safe thing to do if you see the big picture the fact that people were unemployed lost tens of thousands of dollars in in uh, employment income the fact that we then used people like the truckers, for example, oh, they're an essential service. So we kept the border open for truckers to go back and forth until later on when the vaccine mandates came and suddenly they're no longer essential somehow. And then we coerced them into getting the jab, many against their own consciences. The fact that Costco and some of these big box stores, and I'm not opposed to those big box stores, but that they were allowed to stay open and small businesses selling the same thing had to close. Like wh whose brainwave was that? Someone that maybe has some shares, you know, read between the lines, someone that has shares or investments or stocks mm -hmm. in big corporations, someone that's getting uh, paybacks by standing with big corp. I mean, think about it. Minimally, the optics are atrocious. Th that infuriated me. The fact that there were laws put in place for citizens that politicians routinely and regularly violated. We've talked about this much. The evidence is on the table. So not only were lockdowns a really dumb move and symptomatic of myopic vision, but they didn't address or acknowledge the broader issues of the lockdown. The lockdowns are an extremely bad idea. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe that humans are more than biotic beings, contrary to Darwinian evolution. And the lockdowns were harmful to our spiritual health. Do you think Doug Ford or Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden care, care about people's spiritual health? No, they don't care about people's spiritual health. But that's an important, not a secondary, an important fundamental part of our identity as human beings made in the Imago Dei. Social health, senior citizens in their 80s and 90s being locked into homes, not having any access. These are people in wheelchairs. You get up in the morning, you, you know, you, you eat your uh, cereal, you sit around all day in your room, staring at a wall with a mask on. Lunch comes, you sit around all afternoon, staring at a wall with your mask on. Supper comes, you sit around in the evening, staring at, your, at the wall with your mask on. Then you go back to bed, rinse and repeat for three, four months on end, multiple times a year. And we're, this is supposed to be safe. It's, it was disgusting mm -hmm. to rob seniors and, and shut-ins of the opportunities to see 
to see their loved ones. On that note, what I found incredibly odd was that the bill for maid was pushing forward. Oh, of course. Where they could, a senior could choose to end their life, but could not choose to visit a relative to perhaps get a disease that would end their life. Right. Oh, you know, Chris, this is not a pro-life culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we want people to die young. We want to abort our babies. We want to snub out our, uh, snuff out our seniors. And... The, the devastating social effects of lockdowns and can be seen in all, in all spheres, all levels of sight. You could still go to the hospital and have an abortion. I, I doubt you'd have to go with a co, you know, negative COVID test to get one. Economic devastation, it's going to take generations to catch up. Mental health issues, people are social beings. An absolutely dumb move was to put people under lockdowns and not allow some measure of freedom and travel and visitation have a more balanced approach. So uh, fundamentally, I stood up because it's an authority issue. And secondly, I stood up because it's a justice issue. And shame on you if you didn't. Shame on you if you sat comfortably in your home because you're on a government pension or you sat comfortably in your downtown Ottawa Skyrise building, working from home on your computer, getting full pay, whining about the fact that there's thousands of people beneath you beeping their horns because they haven't had any income in two months. Mm -hmm. Shame on you. Mm -hmm. So there was a justice issue there, and there needs to be a day of reckoning for that, where um, those that participated in this dramatic injustice uh, against the working class, there needs to be um, there needs to be a day of reckoning. There needs to be if we want to talk about reparations. There needs to be reparations made for 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 loss of income and the uh, the, the the mental strain of being denied, for instance, EI hmm. um, for months on end, years on end for some people. Mm-hmm. And would you say? Obviously, I think they, I know the answer to this, but would you say that we're continuing to see society divide people into various classes? I do. I think Canada is more divided than ever before. I think if you look at Amer- the American political apparatus, the um, uh, historical Republicans and Democrats are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum on a variety of issues. We live in a society that's... Um, a complete joke when it comes to actual justice. For example, there's all kinds of discussion. Don't don't participate in racism. Don't participate in racism. The same people that are opposed to, or I wouldn't say they're opposed to racism. They're pretending to be opposed to racism. Continue to racialize society. They're they're creating a deliberate racial divide between Indigenous Canadians and non-Indigenous Canadians. It's constantly being emphasized and they do it by offering special privileges and rights to indigenous Canadians, for example. Well, you can be the first in line to get vaccinated. Oh, really? Because you have a weaker uh, constitution. Is that why you're giving indigenous people vaccinations earlier? Or is it because the virus uh, happens to impact indigenous people their biology somehow differently than black Canadians or white Canadians or Asian Canadians. No, it's because science has been politicized. It, it looks good. It, it looks like you care for the indigenous population in Canada. It looks like you're trying to make things right. So now you use science to, to score political points. Um, 
LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. They are getting special rights. Fun. The quickest way to um, get an income, I think, start up an LGBTQ charity in our country. People give all kinds of money to it. You can apply for grants in the government. You can basically make money off your private sexual decisions by starting a group and promoting it and pretending that you're discriminated against and people don't like you and you know make sure you point the finger at those bad Christians over there that are far-right extremists and anti-LGBTQ and then get some media personalities from CBC or CTV on your on your um, your payroll you know f- slide them a few bucks uh, over a, an expensive dinner in a restaurant as you pour out your heart and talk about how difficult it is to be transgender um, snuggle up to the politicians get them to uh, pressure them and coerce them and uh, manipulate them into passing bills so that you look like you're some sort of a racialized group. This is what's happening in our nation. And lock, stock, and barrel, the mainstream media's head over heels bought into this. Darwinianism is ruining science, a further divide. There, there's, there's no... There's no sense of balance in the biological sciences anymore. You know, when you study human anthropology, it's not like you're trying to balance out the the psychosocial economic dynamics of a, a full human person. It's just all about it's all about biotic health. It's all about the latest injection, the latest medication, the latest prescription to either keep you living a little longer, or snuff you out when when you're no longer no longer of use. So a very divisive, very divisive culture. The, the worst thing to be in, in Canada today is a Christian. The second worst thing to be in Canada is a white Christian. And the third worst thing to be in Canada is a Christian who's white and happens to be male mm-hmm. and believes that maleness is binary. Uh, that's when you got a big old target on your, on your back. So very divisive, very divisive. The Liberal Party of Canada, the New Democrat Party of Canada, much of the Conservative caucus, south of the border, the Democrats, many Republicans, they're not not interested in in bringing people together and uniting people under a common identity. They're interested in dividing and fracturing and scoring political points and making money off of and getting paybacks from groups that they – Represent. We don't even live in a functional democracy. Mm-hmm. The, the broad majority of us are not being represented politically. I don't feel I'm being represented politically. The special interest groups mm-hmm. dominate politics. They dominate the media. Those are the ones being getting the lion's share of representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, the, what I'm just thinking, so you have Christian you have white, you have male. There probably is a fourth category now of unvaccinated. Yeah, <laughs> Which you in another level of, uh, what do they call those? Stigmatized. Those, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. but that might tie into your, um, I know another one of the reasons for opposing. So the third right? major one for me was uh, my opposition to forced medical injections. You don't stick things in people's bodies and inject them, even if they're really, really good without that person's full conscientious cooperation and agreement. I don't care if it's water. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's saline solution. You don't stick needles in people's body and say, you gotta take this needle if you wanna continue to put bread on the table. You have to put this needle in your body 
because we told you I have to put this needle in your body. That is immoral. That is absolutely immoral. It doesn't matter whether you're 100% convinced that it's a great vaccine and the person thinks it's the devil's potion. It doesn't matter. You don't stick things in people's bodies and say you have to take this injection or else. If you're a pastor, you you can't you do not have the authority to say to your people, if you have stuck this thing in your body, you can sit in this room. If you stuck if you haven't stuck this thing in your body, you have to sit in the back row or you have to come to a different service. That's immoral. That's not unifying. Mm-hmm. I, I remember talking to a pastor about this. I asked him, why do you get a vaccinated and unvaccinated service? Some lame, convoluted reason about somehow trying to maintain unity. I'm like, sorry, dude, you don't have the authority to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't have that authority. So I believe it's immoral to penalize people for exercising bodily autonomy over medical injections. Lots of people took the injection and seemed to be quite fine. Several people took the injection and died or suffered physical harm. Um, They should seek damages from the powers that be for that. Mm -hmm. But of course, they'll always protect themselves and drag these sorts of things on court because the power is all in the hands of the tyrants. Many people thought they could... um, they were, they were, they were sold, a, uh, sold a false bill of goods as well. Mm-hmm. How many times did we hear the vaccine early on? The vaccine will, will stop you from getting sick. And then the narrative changes. I know lots and lots of people that triple, quadruple vaxxed still got very, very, very sick. I know a fellow that had four shots. He was in the hospital, almost died. So not to say that that happened to the majority of people, but these are people who were told this is, safe, 100% effective, and you, whether you like it or not, you have to take it. Mm -hmm. If you want to go to work, you have to take it. And that is immoral. Mm -hmm. It's immoral. And so that's my my third, um, you know, major reason. So I I resist the idea that the state has authority over the ministry of worship of the Christian church. I felt compelled to speak out against injustice, the discrimination, the lack lack of equity, the um, dividing of people into sort of a caste system in our nation with the unvaccinated white male Christians becoming part of the untouchable class and, and forced medical injections. I, I, I just, I will, I will oppose that to the day I, I die. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we did the right thing, Chris, and it doesn't matter to me a whole lot whether or not the majority of the minority agrees with me. I absolutely am prepared to stand before God. I believe we did the right thing, but I do want to convince people uh, of my position mm-hmm. if they're not already convinced and galvanize them for any fights that may lie ahead. Yep. Now we've, we've heard a little bit of people talking about almost, <laughs> they've almost been rewriting history, kind of looking back and reframing things. Our own, our own prime minister did this where he said, I never forced anybody to get vaccinations in one video clip and then some diligent sources (laughs) came up with some clips where he's like, you can't ride a plane, an airplane, all the people that federal workers had to or lose their jobs. So yes, he didn't literally stick a needle in somebody's arm against them, against their will, but he made it impossible. He coerced them, right? Um, So anyways, we have so many people trying to reframe history. I think it's having podcasts like this episodes like this helps to go back and say, this is actually what happened, what took place and the reasons for it. But I also want to ask you going forward, 
kind of, I guess, looking around the corner, how do you see this playing out? How do you see this, the travesty that we've experienced in the last three years playing out in the future? Yeah, well, in Canada, the Liberal Party just finished their annual convention and they're already talking about future vax mandates to ride public transportation. So we're like, are you kidding me? I thought this was, this nightmare was over. And to the best of my knowledge, it wasn't passed, but they're looking at the possibility of requiring vaccinations to get on any sort of public transportation, which is by the way, why there should be very little public anything. Like get, get public transportation, make it private. Hmm. Get rid of public health care, make it private. Now you have a competitive market. Now you have people that can buy in. Now there's accountability. As soon as the government, the state takes control of these uh, public institutions or public, this kind of public infrastructure, the public services, they can manipulate it for their own political gain and give it to you or take it from you at, based upon whatever whim they happen to be experiencing at a given time. Um, so there's, you think about why, why would a government post pandemic be toying with potential forced forced or necessary vaccinations? I don't, I don't see it as being really any different. If the government controls all of life and they say you have to have it in order to get to go to, to go to work, you have to have it in order to, let's say, access public health care. You have to have it in order to travel. That's forced. That's like saying, well, people, well, it's not like Nazi Germany. It's not, it's not like when they took the, the Jews and, um, you know, forcibly injected them or forcibly did medical experiments on them. Well, someone could say, well, we didn't really force them. I mean, they did get on the train. They did put one leg in front of the other. You know, they, they did. They didn't run away when they got to Auschwitz or these other camps. I mean, come on, it's forced. It was forced. And I, I, I think it would be, you'd be pretty hard pressed to find uh, too many people that wouldn't, wouldn't be willing to concede that point. It was for all intents and purposes, forced vax mandates. Well, it's big business after all. Our own prime ministers talked about, you know, building vaccination plants in our country. I just don't trust these people. I think there's money trading trading hands behind the scenes. They're certainly not at an arm's length from it. They clearly don't have a moral compass that would stop them from taking um, uh, potentially taking money from from uh, pharmaceutical companies. The climate agenda. They're they're constantly talking about the climate agenda. We're not in a climate emergency. Okay, we are experiencing some changes in climate. There's mitigating things we can do. Most of it is just the natural cycles of, 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 of uh, different times in history where it's warmer or colder. Most CO2 is not as a result of, is not human caused, but we have this constant climate change agenda. Well, <clears throat> read between the lines, like take, the, take the, the logic that we've experienced over the last few years and apply it to future crises. So what if someone says, you know what? Do the right thing, get sterilized or overpopulated. Do the right thing, get sterilized. We'll pay for it. Uh, do the right thing. Take uh, medical ass assistance in dying. Let, let us put you to death. You're, you're not of use. You're not of value is essentially what they're saying. You're, you can't contribute to culture in pain. Let, let, us, let us put you to death. You know, we can, we can do that. You know, you took the vaccinations before. You, you're, you're clearly comfortable with forced medical procedures. These are the sorts of things, whether these, like whether forced sterilization will become 
a thing or not, I have no idea. But the logic is all there for it. We got the climate change thing going on. We've already convinced the population that the government knows best when it comes to your medical choices. They control the medical establishment. They're the ones that control the the uh, the, the public narrative, uh, whether it's overpopulation myth or the, the climate uh, change myth. People are like, oh, you're a climate denier. Yeah, I am. I am. I do deny that there's a public crisis, climate crisis. Mm. I deny it. I live in the same world that you do. I've traveled the world many times. I've been to several countries around the world. I'm, look, I'm 50 years old. We're not in a climate emergency. Okay, wake up. Are things changing? Are the ice caps getting smaller? Yeah. Is it a couple degrees hotter than when I was a kid? Yeah. It was 800 years ago too. Like do the research. Mm. Any of these, any of these issues that the government, the woke mob, the radical leftists are championing, they can easily now force their agenda on you because you've already agreed that they know best. They're the ones with the power. You need to do what they tell you to do. And you won't have a leg to stand on if you bowed and buckled the first time. They'll just assume you're going to bow and buckle the second time. Mm -hmm. I think we need to learn lessons from history, not just ancient history, but more recent history so that we don't repeat its mistakes. My hope then is that the listeners will move forward in life. My listeners will move forward in life with absolute clarity that Christ is Lord of his church with a conviction to stand up against injustice and true discrimination at the hands of the state and that we will oppose any attempt to force medical procedures on people that we will acknowledge that it's wrong, it's unacceptable, and it cannot be tolerated. So those are my big three reasons, Chris, and hopefully that brings clarity. And if you've been told otherwise as to why I stood up, well, now you now have know the truth. Straight from the, the rock's mouth. The horse's mouth. <laughs> it's like the horse's mouth. I prefer so. to call myself a stallion. The stallion's <laughs> mouth. That sounds okay. a lot better. <laughs> it's great. Well, thanks for sharing that, Aaron. And uh, yeah, we're celebrating with you and the charges being dropped and the the good news there. And uh, maybe, maybe just wanted to mention too, because this might bring some closure for people that have been listening from the start. There was a GoFundMe set up for you uh, at the beginning when the charges were brought forth and now those funds, what's happening with those? Yeah. So, and the media always likes to throw that in any news story. Oh, this is the guy that, this is the guy that received 50 grand or something as if I just put it in my own pocket. Um, actually a couple of quick stories. My son, my son-in-law was working on a job site and someone said, did you hear about that pastor in town that got like all this money given to him? He's like, actually that's my father-in-law. No, it's for legal fees. There are people out there that think I somehow dropped at my bank account. So for, for full accountability, I, I received that money from GoFundMe. There was some other donations given and I um, gave that away immediately to be held in trust. Um, after my, and my expenses weren't particularly great. After my expenses are paid, our intention is to give 100% of that money away to other people and organizations fighting um, similar fines. So 
I've never held on to a dime of it. I'm not intending to hold on to a dime of it. That money was given in good faith by people to be used for a specific purpose. I know I now no longer need that money for that purpose. So in principle, I think it should go to others who, who are fighting similar fights. And I, I intend to do that. It's good. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good thing, just in case any of the media are listening in looking for an extra piece of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'd like to welcome all the CBC and CTV reporters to our show. Thanks for listening. I hope <laughs> exactly. you enjoyed your day. <laughs> that's great. Well, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to sit down and go over those with you. And hopefully the listeners have benefited and been blessed by that as well. A reminder to our listeners that you can catch this show both on the pursuitofglory.org a website, a resourcing site of Pastor Aaron's, as well as over on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, where you can find a variety of other Christian podcasts to, to uh, plug into. We hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. 